Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Today we have another play from Sophocles, the Trachinii, or women of Trachis, or the Trachinian women, or the maidens of Trachis. It all depends on the translation you're using. I'm working from the E.F. Watling translation from 1953, and this is the same book that I used for Ajax back when we started the plays of Sophocles. It's fine. Honestly, any issues with it stem from Sophocles and not the translation. This is one of the plays for which we don't have a firm date. Proposed dates range from 450 BCE to 430 BCE. It's not the best of Sophocles' plays, so the earlier date makes some sense, but there are thematic aspects that lead some scholars to place it later in his career. The play is set, no surprise given the title, in Trachis, where Heracles' family lives. The primary characters are Heracles, his wife Danaera, their son Hylus, and a herald named Lycus. There are some servants with speaking roles and more with non-speaking roles, and the chorus is comprised of the titular women of Trachis. We'll take a quick break and go through the plot when we get back. At the start of the play, Danaire enters along with her children's nursemaid. Daenerys speaks of how she isn't exactly happy being married to Heracles. He's never home, and she never knows where he is. She gives a brief autobiography. She had never really wanted to be married in the first place, and then she was wooed by Akalos, a river god. She definitely didn't want to marry him, but her dad was okay with it, so she was resigned to her fate. And then Heracles showed up, and he fought with Oculus and won, and she thought this would be so much better. But then he wound up a slave to the Twelve Labors, and she had hoped that now that he had completed those tasks and been freed that maybe, just maybe, they could have a normal, quiet life, but instead he keeps going off on other quests, and it has been 15 months since he was last home. She is convinced that something is wrong. The nurse suggests that Hillis should be sent to search for Heracles, and with perfect timing, Hillis enters. He says that he's heard a rumor and thinks he knows where his father is. The rumor is that Heracles spent 12 months as a slave to a Lydian woman, and once he was released from that servitude, he went to Euboea to start a war against King Eurydice. Like you do. This reminds Danera of this oracle that Heracles left her. It said he would either die in Euboea or win the day and return home to live happily until his death. Hillis says he will go and find Heracles and exits. The chorus enters. They sing a parados about how sad Danera is, because they are super helpful that way. It's simultaneously funeral dirge and always look on the bright side of life. Danaira thanks them for their understanding, then goes on to tell them that they really don't understand how deep her feelings run. Heracles told her that she should divide his land amongst his sons if he hasn't returned in a year and three months, and it's been that long, so he must be dead. With perfect timing, a messenger enters and announces that Heracles is not only alive, but he has defeated King Eurydice and is on his way home with the spoils. And spoils, of course, means people. And people, you know, means women. 
The chorus sings a joyful bacchanal, stopping only when they see the captives enter, led by the herald Lycus. One girl stands out to Danera. She has a noble bearing, and Danera asks for the girl's background. Lycus insists that he doesn't know. I mean, sure, she seems to be of a higher rank than the others, but he hasn't talked to her, so why should he know anything about her? What are you looking at? Why do you keep asking questions? I don't know if she's a princess or something. It's an excellent example of the herald doth protest too much. Before he sticks his foot too far down his throat, he leads the captives inside. The messenger then pulls Danera aside and tells her that the girl is Iole, the daughter of King Eurydice. It gets worse. The messenger says that Heracles wanted Iolius as concubine, but Eurydice refused, and that's why Heracles attacked. Lycus re-enters, and Danera and the messenger team up and get him to admit that he knew all along who Iole is. Danera then tells him that it's no big deal. She loves Heracles. She can't blame another woman for loving him too. Or Heracles for loving another woman for that matter. It's the fault of Eros. Not even the gods can escape the will of Eros. She tells Lycus that she has gifts to send to Heracles, and they exit into the house to get them. The chorus sings a song about love that includes a recounting of how Heracles defeated Oculus and won the hand of Danera. Danera enters, carrying a box with her gift for Heracles. She explains to the chorus that she cannot endure the thought of being his wife while Iole is his woman. But again, she doesn't blame Iole for this. She has not plotted revenge. Instead, she has come up with a way to assure that he is hers and hers alone. A love spell. You see, many years ago, she was attacked by Nessus, a centaur, but Heracles saved her by shooting Nessus with an arrow that had been dipped in the Hydra's blood. As he lay dying, Nessus told Danera to collect some of his blood. She should save it because some day Heracles might look at another woman, and Danera will be able to use this blood to charm Heracles's heart so that he will only have eyes for her. She's kept the blood ever since, and has only now had cause to use it. She has dipped a new robe in it, and that robe is in the box for Heracles to wear. The chorus lauds her for coming up with a plan that won't harm Heracles or Iole. Lycus re-enters and says that he really needs to be going. Danera gives the box to Lycus and provides instructions that Heracles should wear it when he makes his offerings of thanks to the gods. Heracles promises that he will follow her instructions to a T and exits. The chorus sings about how faithful Danera has been and how the centaur's charm will give them a happy ever after. Danera enters in a panic. She had used some wool to daub the blood on the robe and then left that wool in the courtyard, but now it's disappeared. It crumbled away, having consumed itself. It's only now that it occurs to her that maybe Nessus hadn't been telling her the truth. She realized that she has, in fact, sent Heracles a poisoned robe. The chorus tries to assuage her fears, but then, with perfect timing, as always, Hillis returns and accuses her of killing Heracles, which, you know, basically she has done. Hillis recounts how Heracles put on the robe as requested and went to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving, but the robe adhered to his body and started to burn him, consume him. Heracles is not dead yet, but he is dying. Daenera silently exits into the house. Hillis tells the chorus to just let her go before he storms off. The chorus sings of how Nessus has killed Heracles, just as Heracles killed Nessus many years ago. They hear a cry from inside the house, and the nurse enters. She announces that Danera has killed herself. 
Hillis is weeping and wailing because he learned too late that she hadn't realized the robe was poisoned. The chorus sings a dirge and wonders whether Heracles yet lives. It turns out that he does. He is carried on stage. Hillis follows the procession on and cries out about how, he is, how lost he feels now that his father is dying. An elder tells him to hush because he'll waken Heracles, but the damage is done. Heracles begs to be put out of his misery. He can't believe that after all of the men and monsters he has fought that his death has been brought about by a woman. Hillis explains that it was, in fact, Nessus who was responsible, not Danera. Heracles says that he now understands the oracles that Danera had spoken of at the beginning of the play. He had misunderstood them to say that he would have a long life when, in fact, they had spoken of the end of his life. He begs Hillis to build a funeral pyre and not to wait until he has died to put him on it. And he tells Hillis to, that he should marry Iole because, you know, one of them should get the girl. Hillis hesitates, but filial devotion wins out, and he agrees to do what his father asks. The play concludes with Heracles being carried away to the funeral pyre, and Hillis telling the women of Trachis that they are free to go. And that leaves us at a good place for a break. This is not the finest of Sophocles' plays. It feels somewhat disjointed. It's simultaneously stoic and melodramatic. Danera seems to be the protagonist, but she dies well before the play ends. But then the same thing happens in Ajax, so this isn't out of the norm for Sophocles. One of the difficulties in trying to analyze this play is that we don't know when it was written. Is he borrowing from Euripides? Was this intended to be a commentary on the Peloponnesian War? We don't know because it can be placed anywhere over the course of 30 years. For now, I would like to focus on the characterization of Danera. There is something progressive about her. She doesn't respond to Heracles' infidelities the way, say, Clytemnestra does in the Oresteia. She doesn't seek out revenge. She is a challenging character because she responds so calmly. Should we consider this to be a sympathetic portrayal? Danair and Heracles are polar opposites within this play, which is what makes it so awkward. It feels almost like two different plays. What do you think about it? The link to the blog is in the show notes, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. On Wednesday, we're back to the Iliad, and we'll go over book 10. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.